Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, and aired live every week, only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have us. I am your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Ken and Pete. Hi, Yo. Ken and Pete. Greetings, host Frank. On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's mint, near mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies. And try to guide you on what to read and what might be better to avoid. We have a slew of new-to-us comics this week. <clears throat> I'm choking back the bile on some of the stuff right now. <laughs> oh. No, I don't know. I'm, I really am. So, like, usually I come in this and, like, I know what I'm going to rank these books. And sometimes I surprise myself as we are doing the show by uh, giving it a better or worse rating. This time I'm I am fairly I'm fairly set on what I'm I'm giving these things. Really? Uh, I, I got a, I got it from all over the place. I got a couple Marvel books, a couple DC books, and a question mark. That's not true. It's just Marvel and DC. Why am I thinking I'm so cool? How about you guys? What 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 kind of books are we looking at here? I did a little bit of a sci-fi franchise. Oh, thing this week interesting very cool good back to uh your your usual uh and how about you uh pete what do you got for us uh i, I got a, a smattering of uh a smattering a, yeah a sampling. some marvel oh all right some uh so some I, not marvel the interesting thing is not all my books are superhero books despite the fact that i've kept it to the the big two uh that's uh what i call in the business um a thing that i did okay a, a, a reference mm, okay no, like uh, foreshadowing yeah. maybe a little possibly it's just oh bad podcasting that's what it was called. Uh, yes yes, bad yes I'm, I'm very familiar all right so i think <laughs> number one on our list can we discuss something that perhaps only pete and i read uh unfortunately can we talk about uncanny x-men annual number one uh, no i don't think we can we can't no not using language that's approved by our uh standards and practices may, department. may i interject yes please. on one of the previous episodes it might have been the last one we you guys, are, or at least Pete, did a whole big thing of what was going on with X-Men recently. Ken literally came in and saw me reading this book and said, Peter already read this. And I'm like, I don't think he did. I think this is a different thing. Nah, and this, this is a different thing. This is Although, a different thing, but it's related. Th this was teased and leads directly from the end of what I interviewed, the X reviewed reviewed tinked or ex something yeah extinction know, or extermination something. yeah whatever yeah, the it extermination really doesn't matter all right so let's give people back up a background on this uh pete you gave us a review on i think the end of extinction i want to say um maybe the latest <laughs> x, x something. something uh it's not even the latest one but <laughs> relatively recent where the x-men of the past mm -hmm. who had previously been living amongst the X-Men of the now. So teenage X-Men mm -hmm. were hanging out in the same universe at the same time as a regular X-Men, uh, and Cable came to uh, right to put them back or something? Uh, yeah, young Cable came from the future mm -hmm. to get the young X-Men from the past back to the past. Right, so... Because uh, time. Of course. Now, we may have discussed this on mic or not, but something happened to the X-Men a while back. It was probably Days of Future Past that did it, where now this uh, allegory of, like, uh, civil rights has become entrenched with time travel nonsense. Mm. I I can't it's a it's a weird knot. I like some of the stories. <laughs> I'm not I'm I Days of Future Past is a classic, fine. But it gets to the point where you're like everything is a past future impossible tense. Nothing matters and everything happened before the other thing. Like it continuity just becomes impossible to follow. Yet they still try. It's not like a fun yeah. time travel thing. It's an uh, arduous time travel thing. I I argue, and I'm I'm like I guess the worst kind of X Men fan. X Men fan mm -hmm. because you can no, no, follow agreed. it. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> yes. It is. It, there is there is something to follow. Largely, there are outlying things where you know people like me nerds like me will look at it and say oh, the writers really dropped the ball on this one they, they screwed up continuity mm -hmm. but there is a general timeline that you can follow and it's i enjoy that part of reading x-men i totally get why other people especially more casual readers would not like it and find it incredibly alienating so that's fair enough and this uncanny x-men annual one was the 
book I the first book I've read in the X Men universe for a while that I can recall. Mm. It's a very flimsy basis. Like it, it's it's the first that continues into the story. I picked it up, hey, because it was an annual and had a number one. Yes, mm. it works on me, folks. Then the <laughs> part of the problem. Hey, anyway, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you also picked it up. Without having read the uh, the ten previous issues, absolutely not. Yeah, I did of not Uncanny X Men Disassembled, which, in addition to the extinct or exterminated, that's it, the exterminated. All right, okay. In, in addition to the exterminated, is the other storyline that this book picks up directly after. Yeah. So if you are like me, uh, casual to X Men, or at least you've dropped off for a while or whatever, because I'm a I'm pretty uh, regular comic reader, but what this whole thing i will give you I, I agree with Pete. this was actually pretty straightforward and like all i needed was a good quality podcast like near mint to give me a little <laughs> bit of the background so pete's review just gave me a little bit of the background the rest of it read fine i understood what was happening in the yeah. story like it wasn't just a bunch of words of and nonsense my my issue, I think, is that they spent a lot of time unraveling a knot that I'm not really that excited about them doing. It's not my cup of tea. It may be yours, but not mine. So if you're no. into that kind of thing, then that's good to know. And Frank, what the, the knot that you're talking about, I I, I don't think this is a big spoiler. Because no. I, th- I think this is spoiled on the cover. But the knot that you're talking about is the resurrection of Cyclops... Right. And how that came about. Right. So okay. a little a little background in X-Men right now. Uh, Cyclops went evil a few years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. more uh, or less. Or at least he went rogue is probably a better way of saying it. He mm-hmm. went more violent, more rogue extreme. Rogue was actually a lot nicer than he was. Whoa, <laughs> dude. That's a, that's a X-Men, X-Men joke. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Cyclops becomes a little bit more Magneto. Uh, and uh, there's a moment where the the Phoenix Force gets split out by six different X Men. There's a whole, whole X Men yeah. versus Avengers thing from a few years ago, and eventually X Men die. X Men Cyclops, Cyclops dies. Died. I was like a parent. I was like, oh, the X Men, you know, the X Men. Oh, he's, he's, he's a completely a different, guy. different character. He's a different guy. Very important. So Cyclops passes away, unfortunate, and of course because it's comics. He comes back in this mm-hmm. issue. The cover is beautiful, by the way. Uh, this is this comes. This goes. I should start collecting comic book covers or comic book issues with the cover that uh, follows the Simpsons "Too Many Grandmas" rule. <laughs> there are so many different Cyclopses on this cover, and they are just fighting each other, and it's adorable. I like yeah. it. Um, I think it, I think it's interesting and hints at a uh, a very interesting story. About the conflicted personalities, all the different people that Cyclops has been over the years. A story that is not told in this issue. Uh, yeah, it's... So when you cut through all the time travel shenanigans, which the book does, effectively... Yeah, I think, I think it does a pretty good job of telling you what you need to know for the story contained in these pages. Right, and it's effectively the story of, listen, Cyclops, as most people know it, in the grainy quality of like 80s comics is a boy scout right Mm -hmm. he's a good guy he's always trying to help he has these little quirky things he may say every once in a while uh but he's like you know he's he's trying to prove that humanity and mutanity are capable of living together in harmony uh, and the Cyclops that readers have been more familiar with in the last few years has been a radical and extremely violent and willing to fight to protect mutant kind because it's going to go extinct because Marvel decided that there was way too many mutants and we need to cull the herd. Mm-hmm. And also there was that Fox deal that may or may not have anything to do with anything. So there was a lot of like conflict of who Cyclops is. Mm-hmm. And this book kind of deals with it in a way. It brings up the question of as young cable puts it in this book of which cyclops did i bring back did i bring back the guy who will stop at nothing to protect mutant kind or did i bring back the guy who will do the hero thing uh and it was an interesting story Mm -hmm. i will give it that i mean it uh, a lot of pages to tell the story and a lot of uh, convolution plot lines that that kind of bog it down but i think it, it did a good job of trying i agree i agree um I I don't think it could have told the story without the introduction of the new character that we got. Yeah. This uh this human whose life 
Cyclops saved John many years ago. Yes. He might as I well. believe that is his name, John, John Human. Human. <laughs> and he was John Human, one of the good ones, is what his deal is. Uh, and, and I think an entirely new supervillain yeah, created in addition to it. So when that, that was an interesting choice. So uh, as a visual choice in this book, when we see a little bit of uh, like a flashback of early Cyclops' career, it very much feels like 60s-era Cyclops. In yeah. fact, the art isn't isn't exactly 60s-era, but even the quality of the page kind of downgrades. Oh, yeah, they definitely did a, a, an effect. Yeah. It's like the comic book equivalent of an Instagram filter. Right, to make it look like, oh, this is an old comic. And the <laughs> language, like the way people are talking about, well, my God, people are still inside that building. You know, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. And the villain, the quality of the villain, he is a mad scientist-style villain. I have looks problem. a lot like Charles Xavier. I was going to say, it looks like Professor Xavier, and the helmet he wears is Cerebro without the tubes. Yeah, so I that 100% had to be intentional. I feel like there is a conflict between... I don't understand. If, if it Scott. was intentional, I don't understand what the intent was. So, like, when you think about... There, there's actually one of the horrible things that oh God, uh, you're Scott Summers... Yeah, that Scott Summers does in the recent books is he kills Professor X. Spoiler alert. Um, That's several years ago. Yeah. Get over it. it and it's questionable... I don't even remember what the the context of it was, and I don't really care to. But there's like when you look at X Men, there is like, is Professor X a good guy? Like at the, at the start, yeah. he's recruiting children to fight his private wars, but also like you kind of understand why he's being uh, that way, and he's certainly not as extreme as Magneto, who is often put as the other side of the coin. If I can, I I think I I'm obliged to quote Kitty Pride mm-hmm. on this topic and and just say that Professor Xavier is a jerk. Right, and he does come off as a jerk. Not Picard. Not, no, no, not, no, 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 no. But I'm talking about comic book. Comic book uh, Professor X is right. a jerk. He's a, com- he is, he can be quite the jerk and is often the jerk. And I think that it, without making it too complicated by having Cyclops face uh, some other form of a resurrected Xavier and like deal with his issues in this one book, I think you could kind of have like a little bit of a, uh, an illusion by having a villain who is cartoonishly simplified, bold with a little helmet and the cerebro thing, and, I and think that's is, what it is a professor. Is a professor. Yeah, <laughs> I do think there's a little bit of a hey man, Cyclops had it rough. He, he he was indoctrinated as a kid to fight this battle, and there's a whole bunch bunch of stuff going on. Overall, I think the book is fair. It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, and I, just, I know I just said two words that are actually in our ranking system, and yeah. it's neither of those things. I would say, no, I would actually give this a good. I think it's a, a good read. Um, uh, it, it's beginning to whet my appetite to get back into reading X-Men. Hopefully I'll read something else that comes afterwards, because I don't want to be off the wagon for this long. I, mm. It was never intentional. It just became really easy to stop reading X-Men. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I, I, if you do want to continue reading... I would recommend picking up, I believe, next week's uh, Uncanny X-Men number 11, mm. uh, which begins the uh, the new storyline where Cyclops is going to have to figure out where the X-Men are. Right. Because the X-Men gone. are gone. Again! Now. Wow! Yeah. Yay, X-Men! But it's not the Scarlet Witch's fault this time. Yeah. Because she's not a mutant right now. Yeah, exactly what... Can it, do you know what island in Canada they were fighting on and who they were fighting? Do you have any context I, for this? They, they were fighting X-Men. Oh, okay. They were the, literally fighting X-Men. Yeah. All right. This, okay. this was... Uh, if, if you want to find out about it, one pick 10. up X-Men... One, Uncanny X-Men 1 through 10 uh, just wrapped up last week. And uh, should be collected very soon. All right, I'll think either I'll either do that or at least try to go in there for for issue eleven and see can yeah. I get back on this wagon that I desperately want to get back on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I, I'd say yeah, I'm I'm real tempted to give it a fair, but I'm in a generous mood. You set the precedent. I'll, I'll give it a good as well. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting into in yeah. this book, but this you're, is, it's okay. Yeah, this yeah. is not great comic book writing. But it's, it's passable. And you know what? It gets us past that damn line of when Cyclops coming back. Yeah. Fine, he's back. Good. I would have really, I would have loved it. Loved it if they didn't even explain it. He was like, I'm back for some reason. That is my my ideal way of explaining a resurrected character. Yeah. I'm alive somehow. 
That's it. That's it. Do it, writers. They might still you be cowards. Able, they might still be able to do that with Professor X, who looks like he sort of came back, but then just they ignored him. Okay. Well, we'll you, see. You do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken. We uh, Pete and I have been talking for a while. So, how about you review a thing? Uh, now you say things, Ken. Well, I got a thing that I can do solo, or I got a thing that I can re- review with Peter too. Yeah, do that. Make t- Peter never uh, stop talking. All right. Okay. So uh, a few months ago, Peter had told me about a book that came out that he thought would pique my interest, and he, I think, read the first issue before I did. Indeed. Sold me on it, and four issues in, we're going to talk about Star Trek versus Transformers. I didn't have to sell you very hard on this one, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I think that's one of those, the title like, sells once you, it. it. And if the title didn't sell it, the brief capsule summary of the idea sells you, because it's not just Star Trek Transformers crossover. No, it's not. It's, it's the Star Trek cartoon crossing over with 80s cartoon Transformers. Wow. Yeah. So like the 70s cartoon. The, Star, the, the yeah. 70s the Star one. Trek cartoon. Right. Yeah, the Complete With the G- Generation 1 80s Transformers cartoon? Yes. yes. Excellent. And it, it is and just we do that. And we do have the non-human ca- uh, crew members from the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. That weird cat lady and the ca- thing that wasn't Chekhov. Yeah. Why do we do we ever do we know why there was a thing that wasn't Chekhov in the animated? I don't think you could well, show he, Russians on TV uh, at the, in, in the in 70s. Like, pictures weren't calibrated correctly to show Russians. No. So, could well, you couldn't you couldn't draw Russians mm. in the 70s. You could you could have that explains those uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons that are just a little off those yeah. Soviet era ones. So yeah. here, here's the weird thing about the cartoons. I do know a little bit of history about it. Of course you do. That's of why. Of course I, I do. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to pay to have everybody back. (laughs) And originally, they were just going to do uh, uh, Shatner, Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. Mm -hmm. And then somehow, um, Leonard Nimoy pulled to get some of the other cast members back, and I believe he actually decided to uh, decrease his salary for it. Oh, wow. So he decreased his salary enough to get Uhura and Scotty back. and, uh, And Sulu. Oh, yeah, Sulu. I forgot Sulu. So when they did that, something happened and they couldn't get they couldn't get uh, Walter Koenig. But ironically enough, Walter Koenig wrote a couple of the episodes That's for the show. interesting. Maybe he was transitioning at the time and he was trying to go more into behind the camera. And they like, added a cat lady. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that was what Walter Koenig actually auditioned for, the cat lady. <laughs> and they said, stop doing that. And then they said, that. stop. And then they, then they had Uhura do that later on in Star Trek V with that dance thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was that one of the... That was a bad well, Star Trek, right? They introduced a cat creature in that movie, too, but... That was a bad Star Trek. It was an odd Star Trek. Right? It was five, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, no, Captain. No, that, that, no? That, that actually was six. No, I thought that was the cat lady. No. That, no, they, that was um, uh, David Bowie's wife and man. Oh, oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, well, let's continue this. Because this is ridiculous. Could we, uh, um, yes, and so how do these two properties mix together? Well, first of all, who published this? This is IDW. All right, because they have yeah, both they have, properties. I didn't mm-hmm. know that they had Star Trek. I for some reason didn't know that, but I didn't. We from our Transformers month, we I knew they had Transformers. I thought they yes. still had it. Yeah. All right. Cool. And this takes place outside of the uh, the continuity of their ongoing Transformers yeah, titles. The, I mean, this does take place in the future. It's <laughs> so. Th- well, it takes, pl- it takes place in, uh, in in Enterprise times. Right. Well, I mean. So that's the far future for Transformers. Yes. Remember, they were in our past. Right. Well, no, they were in our well. I past mean, they were in and our into our present. I was going to say they were in our eighties. <laughs> they were also in our prehistoric times, though. Well, They've yeah. been around for a while. I mean, they were they were sleeping for most of that. Though. Yeah, yeah, but like we're just kind so of what we're just kind of how we find them in, in this book. But yeah, apparently the Transformers like woke up for like a hot second in the eighties and then went back to sleep. Yeah, better than having all those later. Which is, it's kind of like what we do to Apocalypse all the time in mm. X-Men. Okay. True. Good. Like, he just wakes up for brief brief moments, slaughters I feel like we forgot people. we were doing a podcast and started just talking about this. So, what, so, so it, it opens yeah. up with the Enterprise uh, going after a distress signal uh, on a mining planet uh, in the Klingon border. All right. 
they go down to the planet and find all of these Earth aircraft flying around trying to sh- shoot at each other mm. and trying to assess where they are and what's actually go- <laughs> what's happening. Vintage Earth aircraft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. And and what, what's great about this is that the the Star Trek characters I think do react pretty realistically <laughs> to, to seeing this like okay that's freaking weird yeah. but it's also Volkswagen it's also weird they also react in a realistic way when you consider that these are people that have been to planets that are carbon copies of Nazi yeah. Yeah. earth you know well I mean it sums it up I mean Spock is like fascinating fascinating the vehicle seemed to be of human design and Sulo's like late 20th century military aircraft pre-eugenics wars huh. so like <laughs> Well, Sue is all about yeah. aeronautics stuff, but like just the fact, like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, and we find out that they're 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 uh, Decepticons actually laying waste to, to the uh, to, to the planet. All right, mm-hmm. that's uh, pretty cool. I do, I, I, so- do, I do love the moment later on in the series uh, when when Spock sees uh, oh god, what's it, Tripticon? Yes, for the first time, and just basically says, "Wow, that's a." dumb thing to exist. <laughs> it's like, it, it's an oversized oh. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Highly illogical. Why? <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. You're in the Star Trek universe. You don't really have the right to say that's a dumb thing to exist. I don't know. I don't know. I think that kind of underscores a lot of the uh, the Transformers quote-unquote logic. Yeah, <laughs> like, true. Yeah, this is pretty... I've, I've seen some dumb stuff, but this is really dumb. Mm-hmm. So how how does it play it's, off? Is, is it actually... It, it's fun, actually. Yeah. Oh, good. They, they find uh, Optimus essentially kind of barely alive in uh, coming up of, yeah. from this mining shaft, and they find a way to activate him and then realize that he's not just a robot. Um, they kind of have like these synapses in a brain that actually parallels humans. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's it's an interesting interesting to see them apply the prime directives from Star Trek towards making first contact with these Cybertronians. Mm. Which is also funny because the first issue is Prime's directive. Yes, mm. it, the, puns abound yes. in the uh, in the titles and it. things. I don't know if I get you take know this what book. when you describe it. It, it does sound like it's really cheesy, mm-hmm. but it, it works. It, it really actually does. really does work. And uh, yeah, some of the uh, the concepts that they play with, I, I don't think we should spoil too much or All give right. too much of a rundown of yeah, the plot. Yeah. But it's there's some really fun over the top stuff that happens. So yeah. this is a uh, short run series. You said something about five mm, issues. Five, it's going to be five issues. There's only four out now. All right. Uh, so there's there's yeah. still time for you to pick up the four at your uh, friendly local comic book shop. All right. And catch up in time for next month's issue five, the big finale. And the issues are pretty quick reads too. All I mean, right. like there's a lot of there kind of is a lot of content to it, but you, yeah. but it, but it moves very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a big commitment. If, yeah. if you're looking for something that's going to be a fun, engaging, quick read that brings you back to your nostalgic childhood, cool. It's it, this is very good. This is a very good book. All right, but is it a very good book? What are you guys ranking? Well, very good isn't one of the rankings. Yeah. If if you remember <laughs> in that like crazy diatribe you spout out every mm-hmm. I do episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say that this book is uh, minty fresh. Mint. Wow, is it a I, double mint? I have to agree. It's a completely mint. mint. It's, oh, it's so, somebody call Wrigley's. It's yeah. it's so much fun. It All really right, is. I'm definitely picking this up. Ooh, I cannot wait. That's awesome. That's exciting. Uh, speaking of awesome and exciting, all right, let's let's do our first uh, book that is. Um, that isn't a super. Well, that's not true. You didn't have a superhero book. You had a. Uh, I saw it. I got a sci-fi franchise yeah, thing going on this yeah, week. Yeah, I guess so. Would you count that as superheroes? Let's be honest. Uh, it's tough. That's a yeah. tough call, especially the Transformers front. I mean, Star Trek varies widely. You can do pretty serious sci-fi with it, mm-hmm. but like Transformers, it's. I would say that the this was a superhero book. Yeah, it's a, it's a superhero book. Populated with characters from two sci-fi franchises. Fair enough. Or, yeah, 
I could see that. And the, uh, Transformers comics, for the most part, have always kind of been on the edge of superhero sci-fi and more stories for yeah. me because that's just the for whatever just reason the thing they did that thing that carried the most. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. and you know half the the population of this this world are fighter jets and military vehicles, so and that's they, they, reasonable. They tried a few with the romance comic genre, and <laughs> it just didn't take. I would I would one hundred percent be all in on I that. Absolutely would uh, yeah. too, especially uh, considering there's like only three female. <laughs> well, no, beyond that, there was one awesome comic we read recently about. Uh, Oh, God, I can't remember any of their names, and Al's not here to help us. But there was that one guy who was on the forum who was, he was talking to the <laughs> yes. That was good. All right. That was well, really good, actually. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Transformers yeah. romance comics. IDW, you're rebooting stuff right now. Do it. Do it. But uh, my original really good tr- uh, a segue is now destroyed. I'm sorry. So war is hell. Huh. Is I want to talk about war comics. So oh, cool. That used to be a much bigger genre. I can't believe I just said, oh, cool. I, I, not to war <laughs> nope, in general. Too late. You but said I it. know what you're referencing. Mm. I know what you read. And I didn't read this one yet. It's so, yeah, war comics in general used to be a bigger deal. Same thing with like funny animal comics, romance comics, which you mentioned briefly. Horror comics? Horror comics specifically. All these things kind of got overshadowed by superhero comics as they became super popular in the, in the 60s, we'll say. Mm. And I'm not saying that war comics have never appeared again, but they've always had a little hint of something else. It's a war comic that's in space with robots. It's a war comic that's actually Agent Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., whatever, you know. I'll, I'll give you one caveat. They have appeared from time to time in, like, the pure war comic format. Mm-hmm. But they've usually not lasted that long. Yeah, they they are intended as little mini series or 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 sometimes reprints yeah. of our previous I think, stories. I think maybe the longest running one was the eighties and nineties, uh, the Nam that oh, Marvel yeah. put out, right? Which even that eventually got kind of tainted by superheroics when they integrated Punisher into yes, it. Yes, and in fact, the book I have to review right now briefly discusses that. Oh. War is Hell. Uh, it's a, one of those Marvel's, 80 Years of Marvel's uh, uh, books that are coming out uh, recently, uh, and the, the focus on this is, in fact, to bring back attention to war comics. Uh, and this, uh, this period of... I think this is one of the first two that yeah. they've released, actually. And uh, this particular issue, War is Hell, number one, has two stories in there. Uh, it has uh, Under Fire Over London and uh, War Devil. Uh, actually, that's not it. It's Swing Verboten and War Devil. Uh, and uh, two basic straight stories, one that's set in the Second World War uh, and one that is set in a modern kind of post-Afghanistan war field. Uh, and uh, so in case you're wondering, because these are Marvel Comics books, these are not reprints, these are original stories, and they do not feature any superheroics at all. Arguably, there is no supernatural elements in there, although there is an aspect of horror, especially in uh, War Devil. It's interesting. I have I never really read war comics as a kid, obviously. I mean, it wasn't really something that... I, I did read a fair amount of Punisher... Uh, and G.I. Joe, but that's, again, very yeah. vaguely, vaguely war comics. True, like, comics set in the Second World War or Korea or Vietnam, those kind of were out of my out of my wheelhouse. I didn't really read them, and I think they weren't really being published that much when, when I was younger. They had stopped at that point. It's I have read them in anthologies afterwards, and there's always... A sense when you're reading an anthology book that you are reading something that is a product of its time. So if you are reading, it's like reading Moby Dick. You read it and you're like, all right, this is I'm reading Moby Dick as if it were you know a book that was published at the time of Moby Dick. You're not, you wouldn't expect that from a more recent book that came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with like sci-fi stories or uh, swashbuckling sword and sorcery things. This actually came up a few weeks ago when we were doing Conan. It's the these are new Conan stories and the things that I was going to let pass for old Conan stories. I might have a little bit more problems with. I don't need to see like social justice warrior Conan necessarily. 
but I, if he's being a scumbag, I want at least it to be acknowledged in the story in some way so I could feel like this is something new in every respect. This isn't just making, um, this isn't a pale mockery of some other book. This story with all original tales, it's hard to say that I enjoyed it. I don't know if, I, I, I'm not the type of person who watches war movies, right? Again, classics, maybe. Modern war movies, I don't think I, I enjoy them. They're too real for me. And that's kind of what I felt for this book. It was like a little too real. The escapism, the fun of reading comics, even the fun of reading like a grim, dark comic, mm. which I may have to review a little while, like a horror comic or what have you, there, it, it wasn't present here. And there wasn't a, this is a product of the time filter for me to read it and say like, well, you know, for historic reasons, this is interesting. It was just, ugh, I don't know. It was a little odd. Uh, of the two stories, Swing Verboten was a little bit more interesting in the little twists and turns. Uh, that's actually not true at all. It is, <laughs> it was more traditional, uh, I guess, again, because it was set in World War II, a little bit more like relaxed in the, in the, the the horrors of, of warfare war devil because it was set in a modern war was even was much more graphic not only was it much more graphic in terms of blood uh and gore uh but also like that this feels too close to home for me but it was a more interesting story and in then it was closer to a horror uh uh tale i don't know i don't know how to rank this i i'm at my most generous i can only give this a good if you know what you like and this is something that you might like, pick it up. It's worth reading. But I don't know if this is one of those. I think this might be, as you said, and the book goes into a couple well, detail about Marvel's history and Timely's history with war comics. It, it describes a little bit of these short run attempts. And I think this is why it's a short run attempt. There's something I think we've gotten to a place where we don't want to pretend that this real thing is for entertainment, mm. but comics are for entertainment. So, yeah. or at least many comics are. This the this comic is definitely being presented for entertainment purposes. So it just feels a little. It's I don't know if I would feel the same way about a true crime story. If I would read it and be like, ah, this just feels too real for me. I'm not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. But it was just just that level of this is a genre I don't think can come back. And that's odd for me because I'm, you know, I'm a nostalgia yeah. guy. I like, I like <clears throat> new things and old things coming back. But it's, it's, you know, it's something that you're not nostalgic for. True. I think, but I think I would read a World War II anthology. I wouldn't necessarily want to read new stuff in that setting. I yeah. think. Are you also saying too that if if this if 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 that principal story was wrapped around a fantasy element and told that way? Uh, that's a good question. So I think for the first story set in World War II, I think it would be a little bit more palp palpable and interesting and more for me to get if my claws in. If Conan was, running around. If it was Conan running around in World War II talking about swing music. Let me, or uh, if, it was like Cap if it was like a Captain America or a Nick Fury story. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, and for the later story set in modern, I think I would be even more turned off. If this were set in a modern warfare uh, 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 setting... And there were werewolves there. I'd be like, you're even now. You're even more being disrespectful. Something that's actually currently a problem. And I think that's it. It just stuck in my craw in a way that, it, and it wasn't a bad story. It was just, and it wasn't even unsettling where I could give it that much credit. It was more mm -hmm. like, I don't know if this is my cup of tea. That's if, why I came out with a good. Just to keep picking at you at, mm. at the brain here. What if that second story was taken out of the? Uh, the, the modern warfare setting and put into, you know, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, if it was set in, in a fantasy setting or even just to g keep it in the war, like, in World War One. Is the, you know, yeah, I is think the I, story interesting, at least? I think so. And I think okay. it would be more interesting that way. So I guess it's just a too it's soon It's the set aspect. dressing, yeah, I guess, the that, set dressing that makes it really bad. Well, right. as long as we're analyzing Frank right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the other question is, I mean, did you ever read Punisher? I did at yeah. all, and uh, or, or any of the Nick Fury stuff. Like, how were you like when they went into flashbacks what, back when he was a soldier? I think I liked it as a kid. I have noticed that I am a little less forgiving of these stories now. 
like revenge fantasies are less interesting to me in general. I enjoyed the films of Mel Gibson as a as a kid, and now I'm <laughs> like, why am I even? Why? Why did I remember really loving Braveheart? I was gonna say Braveheart holds up. I don't. So <laughs> I, 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 I just watched it again recently. I, it may very well hold up. I don't know because I haven't seen it recently, and I actually stopped watching it because it was like, oh man, it's too tragic. But you then someone said the, rocks. the uh, what was it the um, the something King. Uh, there's a on Netflix. There's a new series, uh, or, or is it a short yes. film about Robert the Bruce? Oh, that yeah, that's a that's that's a short film, or it's a film. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like, all right, this is Braveheart, but if it were good, and someone <laughs> described it that way, and I'm like, I don't understand what you mean, and like, well, less melodrama, more historically accurate. The the guy who's actually you know Robert the Bruce whose actual nickname was Brave uh, Braveheart or was actually called Braveheart is one of the characters and mm-hmm. like you, there is a lot of like paint by number revenge fantasy in Braveheart and a few other those movies and those comics that I'm like I don't know if I would still like them now or if I'd feel and it's also a little different when the people who are writing the books which I actually don't know much of the people who who wrote these well when I, the I just people saw Howard Chaikin who was actually very good well when they experienced what they're going through yeah so hearing Larry reading Larry Hama talking about G.I. Joe in a vague in Vietnam-ish way. Like, I'm okay with that. Okay. I'm okay with you doing that. If you, But if you're distant from it, it feels a little weird to me. Um, and I don't think any of these were World War II um, <laughs> soldiers. But for all I know, they, they, they may have fought in Afghanistan or, or you know, interviewed yeah. people who did. It just felt like it was one of those things that it was a cup of... It wasn't my cup of tea, but I, it's strange to me that I feel like it would have been if a few little elements had set up correctly. Very Fair odd, enough. but an interesting story nonetheless. So, good. Keeping keeping on that theme, uh, I actually got a chance to check out a little bit of uh, one of the other books from Marvel's 80th anniversary offerings, uh, Crypt of Shadows, which was, as, oh. your, as yours was the tribute to the old Marvel War comics, this is a tribute to the old Marvel horror, horror comics. Oh, wow. I really wish I had read that. Um, yeah, and I think it may, listening to your issues with that, uh, with uh, War Stories, was it? Uh, it? War is Hell. War is Hell, that's it. Uh, listening to your issues with that actually makes me understand, I think, a little bit more what they're trying to go with in this. So I think these are done as an homage or yeah. as, as a writing exercise for writers to get a chance to write something in that old genre and trying to emulate it. Because Crypt of Shadows does a very good job of capturing the feel of the old horror anthology books. Uh, this one is presented much like uh, War is Hell with two separate stories, but they're told with a frame story. Oh, just like classic horror books were. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're actually, they do a very good job of keeping to the, the old horror formula. Down to the, uh, the introduction page that's, uh, you know, setting up the spooky a crypt, mood. A Crypt Keeper-esque yeah. person who is, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you, it's, it's a disembodied host that, that reads the opening, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there is, I mean, that was one of the styles that they did it. I don't believe Marvel was ever really known for the Crypt Keeper type character. Yeah, I can't think of any Marvel uh, horror host by name. Yeah, yeah. Not, that, not that worked real well. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, th- this one, I'm not going to say too much about it because of the nature of, of the stories. You don't want to get too, in, too into it because it's all about suspense and... Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you like the old horror books, I highly recommend checking this out. And I, I'd say, if you like this kind of uh, storytelling, keep checking out these Marvel '80s, uh, Marvel '80 uh, 80th anniversary yeah, books. Yeah, it's a fun idea. It's, I really like it. It's a very interesting trip down memory lane and seeing what comic books were. I'm kind of hoping that they do some pure, uh, not golden age, but. Silver Age comic books, uh, superhero books. Oh, yeah, that might be fun. Maybe some uh, sci-fi. I don't know what else they have planned. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to see some modern authors 
try a take on the old writing style. Mm-hmm. So what do you rank it? Uh, I'll give this one a uh, a good. All right. It's, uh, yeah, not quite up to, you know You know what? No, uh, near mint. I'm going to give it near mint. Nice. Because they, they do a very good job of capturing the old style. Yeah, and I think, again, all these come with the caveat of if you like the style, mm-hmm. you might be interested in more or what have you. Yeah. All right. Um, anybody else have a review that they want to get into? I'm going to give you dealer's choice on my last two reviews. Mm. So uh, I have something from DC, like I promised, and something from Marvel. Okay. Uh, one I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. One I was disappointed by. Which one would you like to pick? I say give us the bad news first. Bad news? Uh, yeah, go ahead with the DC, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the Curse of Brimstone Annual number one. Oh, dear. Yes, from DC Comics. Wait, is this the one where Brimstone gets a new house? <laughs> and gets to move in with the Justice League? Not quite. Oh. Uh, although it's going to happen. Uh, this is, uh, I, I can't even tell Oh, no, how that's new... damage. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> old this. using their new characters. I, 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 yeah, it, this is a very odd story. Um, once again, just like the X-Men annual, this comes after a bunch of sto- issues yeah. that I did not read. This is definitely within a la- within the last year. Yes. Because uh, Brimstone, Brimstone yes. debuted after Metal yes. finished up. So Brimstone, as far as I know, is uh, maybe there's a brother-sister team and the brother has made a deal with some fiery monster thing that might be a demon, but also is not using magic as... John Constantine says very much throughout this book. Yes, John Constantine is guest starring in this book as oh is Swamp Thing. As is Swamp Thing. So this contains pretty much all the things I love the most. It has a Swamp Thing. It has a John Constantine. It has Brimstone, which I was crossed my fingers, hoped it had something to do with the wrestler and our <laughs> friend of the show. Uh, but it did not. Oh. It had what looks like an Impala. I was like, all right, cool. Muscle cars. It had a muscle car at very least. So yes, it's basically the story of these two people uh, who are driving around the street late at night. These are our main characters from the Brimstone line, uh, whose names I cannot remember because I'm not even sure if they said it. I think one of them is named Joe. And then, uh, <laughs> and I believe they're brother and sisters. <laughs> Uh, brother and sister, and uh, Joe is uh, possessed, maybe, by the spirit of Brimstone, which may not be a spirit, it may just be a demon, I don't really know, they have no context for this. Uh, anyways, it's slowly rotting him through magical means, and while they're driving down the stream, they find a fancy British guy who looks a little bit like Sting, and <laughs> uh, that would be John Constantine, who is just really, literally just hanging out in the street being mysterious. Mm-hmm. As he does. Well... Sure, but, uh, you know, no, try a little bit. So, <laughs> effectively, we, no, it that's, just... That's kind of antithetical to John Constantine, trying. Yeah, no, I'm not asking him to try. I, oh, you no, want the writer to try. I, yeah, I want this. <laughs> I understand that this when these, like, guest starring books, uh, and this is The Curse of Brimstone, has to have, like, two guest stars in it, it may be hard to shoehorn them in. It, does he say, hi, I'm here to guest star? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does immediately hit on everything. Everything in the book. Every person, place, or thing. And I well, get it. that it's kind pro- of follows the ways he's portrayed on TV now. I'm literally not saying that this is not his character. I'm just saying that it's not as if they didn't have a hell of a lot of pages to get the story going. They just kind of made it so that there was like an immediate conflict. The immediate conflict was that John Constantine was in the standing in their way when they were going to run him over with their car. Mm-hmm. And then instead of talking, they cast spells at each other uh, because they think that maybe they want to work together. It's like they said, we probably, this is effectively what happens is Constantine says, we probably should be working together for some reason but or else fight. why would the gods put us together? And I'm like, all right, this, you know, you could try. You could give me a little something to hang on to. These are fun characters I'd like to hear more about. And it's not, I don't want to just hear about them hitting on each other and what have you. So, yeah, it's a little bit unpacking of the Brimstone story. Not much gets resolved in who this person is, as you can tell from me not knowing. Uh, There's a couple of uh, real fun horror tropes in there, including an inbred family bringing back their old god. Real true detective season one stuff going on here. And Swamp Thing shows up to help fight the bad guy in it 
Yes, it's, he does. It's got some cool parts here and there. It's got some interesting uh, art that reminds me of my, you know, early image comic days where I was reading this, like... <laughs> looking over your shoulder, I'm the, digging the art. The, I, I think it's beautiful the, looking. The vertigo kind of like, oh, this is this is cool. Almost like a I'm Bernie... I'm going to smoke cloves and read this book. Almost like a Bernie Wrightson kind of feel to it. Yeah, yes. And, uh, yeah, overall, the um, I guess the lesson of we have to work together to fight evil is barely there i don't know it's 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 an okay book i feel like this wasn't enough for me to want to find out more about brimstone which is the point of a brimstone annual the curse of brimstone annual there are two other side stories in this there's one that gives you a little background on a character who i assume is uh, maybe a nemesis for them uh and how he how he first got his powers uh, the introduction of a character called uh, the uh, Salesman, I want to say. <laughs> he is uh, a person who goes around and makes devil's bargains with people. I want to say he's called the Salesman, and I'm not going to look it up to find out. So I think he was a Salesman. He shows up in uh, one, uh, two of the three stories that appear. And the the real, the piece de resistance is the last of the three stories in this annual, which is about a serial killer who kills Salesman. And comes across like the devil's salesman is my best example. I don't have any context for this, so okay. he is a, uh, basically like this supernatural creature who's making Faustian deals with people. Yeah. So picture that serial killer who goes out and kills salesmen, and the salesman who is like the devil's bargainer. Yeah. Amazing. Huh. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Really fun story, really interesting. So the best, I want to know more about Jack and his say, big So the adventure. best part of this Curse of Brimstone book were the two stories that had nothing to do with Brimstone. Well, actually, I only say the last story. The The one oh. in the middle was kind of like I know, meandering. The only cool thing about that is it first introduced the concept of their salesman out there making devil's bargains. He's not mentioned directly in the Brimstone first story, So, okay. but I would assume he's the one who... Brimstone made a deal with, or Joe made a deal with to become Brimstone. Uh, but this last thing, the the way that... Can we assume that's his last name, Joe Brimstone? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this entire, the concept, it was really good. And I really do enjoy this last story. So, believe it or not, on the strength of one of these three stories, this book will elevate to a begrudging near mint. Wow. I think this is fun enough that I actually do want to know more about this guy. But my problem is I don't know what his part in the Brimstone books are. The Curse of Brimstone, he may he he may just be like I think he's their villain. I think he's the bad guy in this, or like a bad guy. Like I think he's like a low ranking bad guy in the Curse of Brimstone story, but I want to know more about him. But hey, you did your job, Annual. You made me want to know more about you. So there you go. Near mid. Um, Pete, do you have anything, or do you want to hear that last? No, let, let's hear your your last Marvel. I'm hoping you actually read this, and think there's a good chance you did. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number one. That would be what I would have uh, reviewed. So I'm glad I let you. All right, good. Take the lead. All right, so Guardians of the Galaxy number one. I I have been Marvel's weird. Marvel has never had this much success. The movies are stellar. Everybody talks about them all the time. My dentist knows these characters now. That's weird, man. That's super weird. And the weirdest thing about Marvel is the comics are barely ever toting the line of the movies. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's as if it doesn't matter. In fact, sometimes they'll do things that are intentionally confusing to audiences. Like, if I read Infinity War, or I watched Infinity War, like, half the planet did, mm-hmm. and went to a comic book store to buy a comic book that said Infinity Wars on it. But with literally anything with Infinity yeah. that Marvel's put out lately. Yeah, you're not getting nothing. that story. You're not getting anything related to that story. Nothing like it. In fact, you're getting something that's actually confusing right because like Gamora's the bad guy in this story yeah and she, like it's very odd why they're doing this but I'm you know Guardians of the Galaxy has something that I had never read before I remember when we first talked about that movie you remember this when I said I, I wasn't even interested in Guardians of the Galaxy the movie I was like I don't really I never really read those books yeah uh but I and I don't like I know that they're attempting to kind of reach out. So I picked up this book saying, I'm going to give it a shot. Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, why not? And the cover is ridiculous. So I know Peter Quill is, was never quite the Peter Quill we've seen in the movies, in the comics. He he's, has been He's lately. getting closer to becoming uh, 
uh, Chris Pratt, effectively. Yeah. Um, I, I know a little bit about this guy who looks like he has a flaming skull and Punisher's armor on. I am assuming <laughs> that's the Punisher and Ghost Rider Punisher, whatever. That is, uh, oh, what did they call him? The... Oh, Cosmic Ghost Rider Cosmic is what they're calling Ghost. him. So I only know him from reviews on this fine podcast. Yes, he he, he is uh, Frank Castle with the powers of Ghost Rider, actually, and Silver Surfer. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's ridiculously overpowered. Yeah. But, and the, uh, the personality of Deadpool. Because yeah. he's gone insane after thousands of years. Right. Uh, so I only know him from that context, from us talking about it on this podcast. Groot's on it, Moon Dragon, Silver Surfer. There's Beta Ray Bill, yes. and there's Dark Hawk, which I'm like, Dark Hawk. That's a character I used to read when I used to. Th- mm-hmm. uh, I, there are a few others on this who do not make that much of an appearance on, in the book. Was Nova itself. on the uh, Nova's there. The cover? I, I think Captain Marvel's there as well. Um, Gladiator. Uh, yeah. yeah, Gladiator's there, uh, Moon Dragon. So effectively, the backstory is the universe is in turmoil. There's civil war everywhere. War has broken out everywhere. Uh, and people are meeting up in Sanctuary uh, to discuss the death of yeah. the Titan Thanos. Sanctuary, if you don't recognize it, is Thanos' ship. Yeah. And so Thanos is dead and decapitated, <clears throat> at which, again, I'm like, interesting choice, Marvel Comics. Yeah. For Infinity Wars. Yeah, because it has, you know, it's going to really make sense to a lot of moviegoers, but fine, whatever. So he's passed away, and uh, people have come to bury him and <laughs> celebrate his death. But uh, lo and behold, there's a last message from Thanos, and that's that he's not quite dead yet. I do love that. I love that it's it's presented as, okay, all of you are gathered here for the reading of Thanos' will. Yes. <laughs> Which is just such a... An absurd concept. It, but fun. Oh, I, yeah. It, was, it worked, and I understand why all these characters arrived. Thanos basically is playing one more Thanos trick. He has downloaded his brain, uploaded his brain, whatever. There is a new Thanos coming with his personality and consciousness. Yeah. And he's uploaded it into somebody. And we don't know who it is. So we don't know who the new Thanos is going to be. You know what? Classic comic fun. I, I'm cool with that. I was, I was so waiting for that message to say, it's one of you in this room. Yeah, and I, I almost suspected it was, but yeah, yeah it, it I understand. And actually, eventually that is brought up by, I believe, Cosmic Ghost Rider, who said, you know, it would be... Well, probably uh, one of us. He, you know, it would definitely be Thanos' thing to show up at his own funeral just to watch people have a nervous breakdown about the fact that he's not dead. Um, the, the B story, which connects to the A story, is that Peter Quill and Groot, are the only people on their spaceship. The Gal- the Guardians have seemed to have broken up in some way, mm-hmm. and they're just going to go to uh, that floating-headed space, who I can't even remember the name of the place anymore. Nowhere. 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 With a K. Uh, yes. Uh, to drink and forget their problems. Groot is petulant and talks in yeah, full sentences. Groot, Groot now talks. This is something that's happened in the... Uh... In yeah. the comic books. Although he does pepper his phraseology with the occasional I am Groot. Right. So He's also been whittling himself down yeah. to, to, to give him like a, give himself a punk makeover. Right. And it's interesting choices on these uh, what have you. And uh, ultimately the two stories collide as Thanos is uh, the... the Black, the Black Order. Black Order comes to retra- uh, to get his body and destroy all the people who've showed up for the funeral. And it's only Peter and Groot who managed to save a handful of the people who have appeared at the funeral. Who, at the end of the story, surprise, surprise, if you haven't figured it out yet, become the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. There's a lot of exposition that happens in this in a way that isn't tedious. Mm-hmm. I will give it credit. Uh, there is a lot to cover. And yes, I have some advantage from being on a comic book podcast and hearing some of the backstories already. Uh, but I think even if I didn't, I'd get most of what's going on. I agree. On. I, I probably would not have guessed that that was uh, Punisher as a Herald. No. Uh, and in fact, while he's a fun character, I don't like it. He does, I, he does introduce himself as Frank Castle. Oh, yeah, and he says that what was Silver That's Surfer it. had killed him in the future or something like yeah. that. Uh, so... It, I, I'm a little wary of yet another snarky hero who is making quips, and Punisher seems like the a bad choice for that. Yeah, it was, I mean, the the character I've actually come to like over a couple of uh, 
couple of or arcs. He appeared first in uh, the Thanos ongoing series, which mm-hmm. has since ceased to go, mm-hmm. uh, and then got his own limited series, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, I, I think he was originally introduced for the shock twist value because he, he appeared several times and you assume that it's Deadpool. Right. And then in one panel, he's like, oh, yeah, I haven't introduced myself. Name's Frank, Frank Castle. Right. And, it's yeah, like, oh, and wow. It, and the concept got legs afterwards and now it yeah, can't go away. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I think but, I, can, I, I can imagine him being fun eventually. Or I, I could see the fun there, but I also got to like, I don't want every character to have the same voice. And it feels like just another snarky guy. Yeah. Um, I like Eros in this because, you know, I, Eros almost never does anything interesting. Star Fox mm-hmm. is barely ever interesting. And it's cool that he's the new Thanos calling it. Um, because it's gonna be him. I just I'm guaranteeing. There's no implication that it is, but I. Oh, see now. My guess. Uh, my guess is that Thanos is just lying. That could also be good. Yes. Uh, and the final twist of this book, which I don't know if we want to get. I don't I think, think we, we should spoil that. You know, I, think, actually, although, I think I want to read it now. I, I, okay, I, th- we won't. I think I think it w- what would be appropriate is us discussing our reactions. Yeah. To I, it, I was impressed that it does finally tie into something that I would think is greater continuity in the comic book world, sure, yeah. but even a little bit in the movies. This is something that a person would recognize and be like, that kind of makes sense to me, except the fact that Thanos' love affair with death is not really brought up much in the movies. Yeah. Um, I kind of have the opposite reaction. It's like, well, I, I think we should say the nature of the of the reveal at the end is mm. it's the reveal of who I'm assuming is going to be the big bad mm-hmm. of the, this. Or, the person or, who orchestrated the theft of Thanos' body. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was very underwhelmed by it. It doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me. And the way the characters have been portrayed in the past, it, it doesn't really mesh. Mm. Um, and it, it, it's not a reveal that makes me eager to go out and get the next issue. It makes me hopeful, but I am sure there's going like, to be some level of disappointment I'm there like, eventually. It, it, it could be interesting, but I'm like, no, that, that wasn't that wasn't worthy of a big reveal. Mm. The, the big reveal that they set it up to be, to, in my opinion. So I guess you, my, your mileage may vary when you when you get a chance to read the book. Just one question, Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider uh, puts on a helmet... When he is exposed to space, I believe that is true. I, I it's very unclear. Sometimes he's drawn with that. It, it's it's like one of those glass fishbowl yes helmets. It's a good look. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's a good look. And it's it's it, the way it's drawn. It's like sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. I think in this issue he puts it on after they crash through, and I, I suppose you know explosive. Decomp- de- uh, decompression happens so you could see him picking up the glass it looks like he's fitting the glass yeah. on his, uh, on okay. his head so which I is believe, absolutely which is hilarious insane because yes. you know he's he's ghost rider he doesn't need that <laughs> but he's it's a good look uh interesting i would i want to continue reading i'm curious mm. about where this is going i would like to see a storyline marvel does that touches on stuff that happens in the movies that isn't completely like this is throwaway it's worthless yeah. it doesn't mean anything at the same time it actually connects who knows this may this will never happen but no. uh, yeah but it, it, it may be a good read regardless frank review i'm gonna give it uh near mint near mint yeah all right um i uh i was very impressed with the way that they managed to get to weave the Okay, here's how these heroes, this new group of heroes is coming together in with the, okay, here's where our uh, where our conflict for this is going to be. Mm. Uh, at, w- while still sprinkling in the, okay, here's enough of a recap for you to to follow along. Yeah, they, they did a good job of I, uh, I thought balancing that. Technically speaking, this was a very well-constructed story. Um, or I should say it was a very well-constructed beginning of a story. Mm -hmm. First half of a first chapter to a story. Yeah. Um, I do not by any means have enough information based on reading this to tell you whether or not this story is going to be good 
in the end. Um, I almost don't feel comfortable giving it a review. Uh-huh. But I, I will... Uh, I'll go ahead and give it a near mint. All right, you know, good. What the heck? I, I'm not one for uh, you know independent opinions today. Apparently, <laughs> all right. That I, I'm just aping whatever the other person read. Speaking <laughs> of apes, said. why don't you gorillas go give us a five star review? This is the worst. What call to action? Uh, actually, speaking of apes, we have some interesting books coming soon. I think. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. wait for for the next one I'm doing. We're gonna keep the trend going on Ken re uh, visiting some sci-fi classics, I think. But oh, uh, yes, please give us uh, one of those five star reviews on your social media catcher. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, follow us on social media. There's some news uh, breaking. As of our recording, which we're not going to get into details right now, but we are going to post about it on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find us at Near Mint Show on both of those places. And uh, we are going to be on Google Plus for like three more weeks before they shut it down. So mm. that's going to be great. Oh, yeah. yeah cool. Awesome. All right. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.